0: Welcome to Iron Butterfly Podcast, co-produced by the National Security Institute and the Amazing Women of the IC, better known as AWIC. My name is Megan Jaffer, and I will be your host. 80 years ago, Eloise Page joined the Office of Strategic Services, or the OSS, a predecessor for what we recognize today as the United States intelligence community. Page started as a secretary, but worked her way to becoming a case officer, and later she became the first female chief of station at CIA. Along the way, she earned the nickname Iron Butterfly, known for being a fierce fighter with a core of steel. The Iron Butterfly podcast aims to continue her legacy, inviting the U.S. intelligence communities unsung heroines to share their stories with aspiring IC leaders. This episode, we are joined by Lynn Dougal. Lynn has more than 30 years of experience in defense, intelligence, and telecommunications, and most recently served as Angility's Chief Executive Officer and Chairman of the Board. Prior to Agility, she spent over 10 years at Raytheon, which culminated as the president of Raytheon's intelligence information and services business. She currently serves on the board of directors for Micron, State Street Corporation, KBR, and TE Connectivity. She also serves on nonprofit boards, including Zoe Empowers and B2B Project, which actively works to place more women in the boardroom. Lynn, we are so happy for you to be here with us today. How are you? I'm fantastic, Megan. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm just thrilled that you're you're here. So many of our listeners might not know that you found yourself in the IC a little bit later in your career. So to kick us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about that journey and how it led to intelligence? You
1: know, it's uh, I kind of divide my career into thirds. And I got to the Intel uh, space that last third of my career. Uh, So I was almost uh, 50 years old. So I spent the first third predominantly in, you know, pure DOD work, hardware stuff, you know, ground EO, you know, terrestrial radar, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and then I, um, did a turn in telecommunications for like that next third. And I just loved, um, telecom because of the op tempo and the speed at which we were going. Um, I was there, um, at, during what I call the U turn where we were go- growing, you know, straight up and we made a U turn and then the industry just collapsed on us. So it was, Uh, kind of trying to find clarity through chaos uh, and I enjoyed that Um, and then I came back Uh, I was uh, working in Australia for um, a software company that we ended up selling and um, a friend of mine called me out of the blue and said why don't you come join me at Raytheon Um, because my business just kind of blew up and I might get fired. And and I said, well, <laughs> what what job would I have? And he said, well, VP of engineering. And and frankly, Megan, I just started laughing out loud because you know I have an industrial engineer, in, and I hadn't ever designed anything. And he said, yep, you'll have six thousand engineers. And I thought, ha ha. Um, but anyways, uh, I joined, and that was my entry into Raytheon. And so again, that was a hardware world, very little software. Um, And then one day, uh, my CEO asked me to come in. uh, And here I am in a functional group. And he calls me in. um, And, uh, you know, of course, I'm thinking, okay, now what did I do to get myself in trouble? But, uh, (laughs) you know, he had an offer for me. And he he wanted to know um, if I would um, let him uh, submit my name uh, for the president of one of Raytheon's business group to the board of directors, and you know I was uh, you know a bit taken aback, very surprised, and I said, you know, uh, that would be great, except I don't know anything about the intelligence community, I don't know the customers or the suppliers, and I think that these other three people would be perfect for that job, you know, and I'm not qualified, and so I was a bit argumentative, and he. <laughs> he finally, you know, gave me the timeout sign and said, you know, Lynn, I didn't ask you here for you to give me names of people to give to the board. I asked you here to ask if I could give <laughs> your name to the board. <laughs> and so I really just kind of left the office and I was smiling to myself or maybe gritting my teeth thinking, okay, I'm the the one woman on the diversity slate uh, and never thought I'd hear anything back. And uh, six months later, I was in a car and I got a call um, and, you know, advising me that I was going to be the new president. And uh, that was my entry. And uh, it was with some trepidation. uh, I had heard all of these stories about how hard it is to become a part of the community. And, you know, if you haven't been here forever, you know, you'll never, you know, be allowed in that intelligence you know team Um, and it was the exact opposite I felt such a warm welcome and I I say you know I got to the intelligence community late but now you couldn't prime me out with the stick Um, there is nothing better
0: Well, and, you know, when I first met you, um, I I mean, I heard so many things about you from so many different women, and it was as if you grew up in the intelligence community. I I would not have known unless you told me. What I found interesting with that story was your friend, you know, said, hey, you know, I got this really uh, kind of hard job. The business is going down. Why don't you come (laughs) over and help me? And that didn't scare you. Um you know i 've heard you say that your whole career has been kind of a series of fixer uppers. What was it about creating and making change that you loved, and what did you continue to seek out you know with
1: the projects that were in crisis? Well, you know each one of my jobs i 've kind of looked at as a wonderful opportunity it 's my husband who keeps thinking I get these fixer uppers <laughs> <You> know like, <laughs> how many How many fixer uppers are you really going to do, Lynn? You know this is hard work um but for me, my my worst nightmare, Megan, would be um, a job where um, you know most of that, the challenges have already been solved. You're in some kind of a maintenance mode. You know, to me, that feels uh, rote and and mm-hmm. very routine. And I tell you, I am in those kind of environments. I need to get out fast because I am the world's least productive person in those environments. Um, it's just, I find myself just, you know, it can be done tomorrow and nobody else is worried about it. And, you know, if you know, if you're trying to go faster, you, you sometimes are ostracized because everyone's like, Hey, you know, everything's fine. Right. You know, what are right. you doing? And so for me, you know, I'm drawn to, or as my mother would say, addicted to, um, <laughs> Those situations, right, where the rhythm um, of, of, of what you've got to get done, you know, the um, importance of teamwork and, and collective, um, you know, creative thought. And so I love those situations where you've got to get everything done this day, because tomorrow you'll have a new set of challenges, right. That'll bend your mind. It'll be this big mental puzzle. And that to me is extremely energizing. Um, and um, I have a dad who's the exact opposite, right. He <laughs> finds that exhausting. He's a research biologist and him doing the same thing every day, just blows his skirt up, you know, <laughs> but for me, um, you know, um, I, I have to be in a different kind of environment. And the other thing about quick environments and high change environments is you can really hide your mistakes much more easily, right? It, I always make the analogy, like if you're only going to do one dive off a diving board like every year, uh-huh. you know, you do a big belly flop, like a massive belly flop and Everybody remembers it for the half life of uranium, right? When you're making decisions every single day and you're moving, 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 yeah, you hit the guardrail a few times, right? But it's right. not catastrophic. Catastrophic. In fact, it's the opposite, right? Because you know, there's not many organizations that really live the motto of fail fast. And, and when you're in high stress, you know, big change uh, environment, um, there's a much higher tolerance, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, for learning, learning through mistakes. Right.
0: So how do you approach making change in these companies? As a change agent, did you prefer to move slowly and methodically or move quickly, which I think you just answered, but um, and how did others react to your approach?
1: You know, um, I absolutely despise people who answer with it depends. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, mental, of, note, <laughs> mental note, mental <laughs> note. Yeah, note to self. Don't say it, Lynn. But, um, I think over my 30 some uh, year career, I counted up that I had 24 jobs. I changed that many times, maybe, maybe a few more. Um, and what I, Made myself remember every time is, Lynn, don't be so, uh, you know, full of hubris that you think whatever worked in the last situation works in this one. And you have to become a new learner. You have to get situational awareness and you have to listen, listen, listen. Right. And, and for me, once you've done that, and you can do it in very short order, it takes days or weeks, not months. Um, then you've got to have that North star and and you can visualize what needs to happen. And so for me, I liked your question because you said slow and methodical or, or, or more quickly. And what I'd like to do is create a new category that says, you know, quickly methodical, right? Because every day you (laughs) got to get closer, um, because, you know, in, in most of my fixers at first, we were in bad shape. We were looking at closing businesses. We were losing clients. Um, and so um, time was not our friend. Um, and then when you have to, and you do have to gauge in that, um, what is essential that I get buy-in and I get followership and I get real ownership? you know from from the team members, the team leaders, um and what i uh and what I'm sharing with them um, makes sense to them, and they understand it there's a purpose to this, and there's goodness um, on the other side and I think once you take that organization's- te- you know temperature you you can kind of see all right, who can move with what has to happen. And who can't and, you know, in really high change enterprises, um, not everyone is going to make it. And in those cases, you have to move as quickly as you possibly can, um, especially um, on your leadership team, people that can drive change, Um, even just being neutral. You know, you always have those categories of, you know, opposed, don't care or or neutral and and those that are going to drive outcomes rate for your customers and the mission. Um so you gotta kind of purse that out. And then, you know, it's that old Lee Iacoga when he was at Chrysler, he said, you know, at some point you have to shoot the stragglers. And and I believe in that if you have obstructionists, you know, they yeah. have to go somewhere else where where they'll be much more satisfied.
0: Well that's a great answer. Thank you. Um and I think we came up with a new term quickly methodical. So that <laughs> that was good. Um so something that might surprise our listeners is that you are opposed to career planning. I really, I really am interested to hear about that. Can you tell us what you mean by that and why you've never allowed yourself to be held captive to a plan? Well, I,
1: I do, I say that um, a, a, a bit dramatically um, because <laughs> I think it is so embedded in us, um, and now even as You know, people are coming into junior high and high school. It's, you know, what's your plan? What's your plan? How are you going to get into that college? And everything has to be laid out. And so I am not an advocate for career planning, but I am a, um, a, a very strong advocate for experience planning. And it's maybe a subtle difference, but I've seen too many really talented people get trapped in their career plan and so you know they set out a course and many times when you say career your target is a position um and and we've all you know observed that and and people get so focused on the end right mm-hmm. that that to me they lose sight there's so many opportunities that fly by them um, in career planning, which tends to have a promotion, a very strong promotion underpinning. Right. Um, and and I just think, you know, one, if you're thinking of it more as an experience. Now, if you need to do an international rotation to get the experience that you need, if you need additional education, you know, by all means, uh, put that into your life plan, right? Right. But a career plan, I like the verb you used. you can become trapped in that. And it just limits you um, in ways that um, I I think, you know, it just embeds bad thinking.
0: I just could not agree more. I think um, what I have loved about some of the mentors I've had and um, what I loved about my career so far is that... it didn't go this straight path you know there wasn't this like i must do this and i must take this path to get there and that's the only thing um i love that i've had different experiences and every single one of those experiences has brought me to where i am now and i wouldn't have planned where i am now which makes it even better because what i'm doing now is what i absolutely love but I wouldn't have been able to plan for it. So I just love that, um, yeah. that answer. The
1: other negative of that is how many times have we all heard people complain about their job? And, right. and you, you have empathy for them in the fact that, you know, I feel sorry for anyone who on an ongoing basis doesn't enjoy what they're doing and they don't feel like they're making a contribution or that they're valued in the workplace. And, but they feel like they have to stick there, right? Because that's the step to the next place. And mm-hmm. I totally reject that hypothesis. I, I think if you are not really, you know, enjoying what you're doing, if, if it doesn't keep you mentally alert and engaged, if you're not surrounded by people, um, you know, that are equally talented, that you, I mean, that you have this shared vision, this shared commitment to the mission, then you should look for a new job. And it doesn't matter if it's a lateral. I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, I ascribe to the rock climbing career path, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, sometimes you go up and then there's no place that you can enjoy and contribute and then you come down or you go over and that's okay. Um, You know, it's all about that collection of experiences. Um, And, you know, I tell people it, it was, you know, dumb luck and God's good grace, I ended up having the opportunity to lead large businesses. Um, but I would have been just as satisfied um, in in many of the other jobs I had mm-hmm. um, because they were really fulfilling. It was very gratifying, the work that the team was doing, and I was a part of it. So that's why I don't like career planning. I like life planning. And and just make sure that you know early on what your priorities are for your life. Um, and then you'll never be disappointed with your career.
0: That's such a good nugget, um, especially for people early career or um, young men and women that are just entering the workforce. So thank you. So to switch gears a little bit, um, as someone who has served her, their entire career on the business side of defense and intelligence. Did you find meaning in that work? And how did you reconcile the goals and metrics of the business with
1: serving the mission? You know, it's interesting um, because a number of younger women um, that I've talked to who, you know, had some interest in IC, and of course, I'm always a big cheerleader, um, have asked that same question. And I think what they're really asking me is, um, am I conflicted, right? And do I Mm -hmm. feel like I have to make trades? Um, between this, you know, business first or mission first. Um, and, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not naive. Um, you know, I always worked for companies, public companies, and, and there's a requirement from shareholders. I was fortunate that the companies that I worked with, I, I never felt like I was in a position, um, you know, that I had to certainly, um, Uh, make an unhealthy trade for the mission. Um, But it was also, um, you know, I think each one of us needs to, to, you know, know what kind of trades we would make. And, um, you know, for me, it wouldn't have been, you know, much of a compromise, uh, or it wouldn't have been a tough choice to make, uh, because, Mm -hmm. you know, our country's national security would always come first. And, You know, when my husband, my husband stayed home and raised our kids and when I became the sole breadwinner, um, we had a discussion and I said, you know, um, we are going to have to live uh, well below our means because in any moment where I don't feel good uh, about Mm -hmm. what I um, am doing or what I'm being asked to do, we need to have the financial wherewithal uh, to take a break or, or make a change. So um, sometimes uh, my husband will say, well, people don't ask you to make those trades because they know you won't do it. Um, I think that's uh, not not particularly true, but the point is, it, it's kind of know what sacrifices you'd make for a career or a job. And then those decisions are really easy.
0: So I've heard you aspire to be a servant leader. So what do you mean by that? And how did you develop that approach to leadership?
1: You know, um, servant leadership has really kind of become, you know, major books. And, and there's kind of a, uh, I don't know, kind of a slogan ishy thing about servant leadership. But, you know, for me, I grew up in the middle of the Bible Belt, you know, in Indiana. And our motto uh, was kind of you know, beaks down, heads down, you know, bottoms up, uh, and and do your work. Mm-hmm. And that that the um, the value that you got from that work was intrinsic, right? It wasn't about position or power or perks. Um, and and to me, you know, any of us that are lucky enough to have the opportunity um, to lead a team, um, it's a real responsibility. And so um, I love, there's a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And the very first sentence says, it's not about you. (laughs) (laughs) And, And to me, that's what leadership is. It's not about you. It's about the customers. It's about the mission. And it's about that, you know, that kind of pure joy, you know, that you get when you you know, create teams or help teams mm-hmm. discover things in themselves, and they accomplish more than they ever could dream. And they certainly um, always exceeded my expectations. And and to me, that's what servant leadership, you know, is. It's just knowing your place, and that with leadership comes responsibility. Um, you know, not prestige. I love that. So, um, if
0: you could talk to the 25-year-old Lynn, uh, what career advice would you have given her? Or would you give her now?
1: <laughs> well, I guess I, I now said I don't give career advice. Uh, but when when you asked the question, I thought, it's funny, because I'm asked that a lot. And instead of probably really answering the question, I I give um, three pieces of advice. I, I always say, you know, what we've been talking about, have a clean line of sight um mm-hmm. to how you're making a difference. Um And, and, you know, have fun more days than not. Right. And the third one is don't work for assholes. Right. <laughs> I mean, if you find yourself in those kind of environments, I, I especially see this in women, many times I think, you know, I'm not going to fight it. Yeah, I am going to fight it, right. I'm going to, you know, and and in me, life's just too short, and you're rarely going to fundamentally change um, someone who's a jerk. And so, um, you know, that's kind of it, you know, enjoy yourself, learn, contribute, um, and create the right environment for yourself. I love that. So, you know, I, I, this is the end of
0: our episode. And as you know, we end each of our episodes with the same question. So in keeping with the name of the podcast, Iron Butterfly, if you had
1: to give yourself a code name, what would it be and why? So this was such a fun question to think about, you know, I, I won't even tell you, I, I was thinking about rising roads, which is that Irish proverb of may the road rise up to meet you. And I thought, no, that that sounds too much rising road. That sounds like a Ben and Jerry ice cream, you know, so <laughs> I had to keep thinking <laughs> Um, but I think for me, um, the word would be boundless. And when I think about that word, I just get this sense of buoyancy, you know, of expansion, you know, boundless energy, boundless waters, um, and a real sense of, of possibility, you know, uh, you know, a sentiment without limits, no constraints, And, you know, as I look into 2021, I, and all the constraints we've had in our lives over the last year, I just uh, hope all of us can be more boundless in 2021.
0: Well, Lynn, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Your stories, your incredible life um, in the IC and out of the IC. Um, you know, thank you for your leadership and your service to our country. And we, I'm just so thankful that you joined us today. I hope you had fun. I,
1: I really enjoyed it. It's so great to see your smiling face and hope to be back in DC soon. I
0: hope so too. This has been an episode of Iron Butterfly, co-produced by the amazing women of the IC and the National Security Institute at George Mason Scalia Law School. To find out more about AWIC, email us at awicpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can also learn more about NSI and upcoming events at nationalsecurity.gmu.edu. If you like the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Lastly, we'd like to thank Beating Falcon, Resolute Unicorn, and Wise Wisteria for making this amazing series possible. We'd also like to thank Grant Haver for production assistance. Stay fierce, and we'll talk next time.